0: Hi, this is Robert Schuler with Melissa's Produce and you're listening in on Cord Vines and Die.
1: Hi, this is Martha Davis from the Motels and you're
2: listening to 10 Temecula Entertainment Network.
3: Sunday. Welcome to Cords Vines and Dines. Hi Tom. Happy Sunday, Cat.
4: Happy Sunday to you too. We were had a very eventful weekend. Oh,
3: very busy weekend. We were at the Temecula uh, Valley Balloon uh, and Wine Festival, Doing uh, 40th 40th anniversary.
4: All photos all weekend.
3: And we were just listening to James Zoda Baker, who's our special guest this week.
4: Oh, is he ever special? Whew.
3: What a wonderful! I've gadget. been
4: listening to his music all morning, and I absolutely love it.
3: Just in brief, he's the he's currently the guitarist for the band War, who has so many hits that I can't begin to count them, including "Summer," "All Day Music," uh, "Low Rider," "Cisco Kid," "Spill the Wine," and on and on and on. So he will be our guest. We're just delighted, and what a nice guy! Just the nicest, most articulate. Uh, delightful guy
4: we just listened to a little snip of his song we all shine which is on his album brand new eyes and we're going to listen to we all shine in its entirety
3: and brand new Eyes." and brand new
4: eyes the the title of his album but um i just wanted to give everybody a little teaser what they're going to it's in store coming up here
3: and i want to mention that Cords, uh, vines, and dines is uh, brought to you by Melissa's Produce, who is our official produce sponsor. And Kat, you finally picked out a recipe. You're going to make
4: something. I'm making a mushroom. What is? I don't forget what it's called. Uh, mushroom stuffed phyllo. Yeah, something like that. And and Robert sent out some beautiful. Uh, oh my gosh, the the I didn't even know there were that kind of mushrooms. Wild lobster Wh- mushrooms. Wild, yeah, that's it. The wild <laughs> lobster mushroom. I'm like. Whoa! I wonder what it looks like in the wild.
3: And fresh garlic and minced garlic and roasted garlic and shallots and lemons and oh boy! I'm going to make
4: it this week. So we'll
3: we'll talk about it next week.
4: Yep, we'll talk about it. I'm well, excited because I love my shrooms.
3: Mmm, that's going to be so tasty. In the meantime, we've got a, a jam-packed show, including Aubrey Tellerico from Trefethen Winery. It's easy that, for you to say. <laughs> sure. And uh, your friend uh, Patrick Hunter, am I correct? Patrick
4: Hunter, yes.
3: So uh, it, it's there's lots lots to listen to, so let's get to it.
4: Let's do it.
3: A couple of weeks ago, uh, it's been two or three weeks, I uh, was up in the Napa Valley visiting my dear friend Sandy Belcher, who's the winemaker for Arnes Winery. And uh, she invited me up for the uh, Napa Wine Library Grand Tasting, and I was lucky enough to meet... Aubrey Tellerico, Did I did I come close, Aubrey? <laughs>
1: yes, you did it.
3: Okay. Aubrey is the hospitality supervisor for Trefethan Winery. And just as a footnote, my mom and dad, who are uh, no longer here, uh, were very dear friends with John and Janet Trefethan. And so our family's been a fan of Trefethan wines for a long time. I just had a sip of your dry Riesling and it's exceptional.
4: It's nice. That's very nice.
1: Yeah, it's it's a really beautiful wine.
3: A lot of people hear Riesling and they think, ooh, sweet. Uh, but there's nothing like a dry Riesling. They're, that's a, just an exceptional wine.
1: Yeah, it's, um, it's really, really easy to drink. Um, it, it's one of those things that, uh, yes, I think people associate Riesling with sweeter styles, and there certainly are um, a lot of sweet styles of Riesling out there. Um, but you know, ours has always been dry. Um, and there's quite a few areas, even in Germany that, um, still make dry versions of Riesling. Um, Dr. Lucen. But, you er, know, er,
3: yeah. So, yeah. Oh. I mean,
1: there's nothing wrong with a sweet style of Riesling. Um, you know, it's Mary Poppins, uh, once said that the sugar helps the medicine go down. <laughs> after all, but True. Um, but, uh, but there's just something really, really special about the dry Riesling. Um, and it's very hard to, to make a dry Riesling just because it's naturally, um, this grape is screamingly high in acidity. Um, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. It's, it's what makes a wine refreshing, um, having that acidity. But, um, you know, sugar is a really good great balancing mechanism, um, for, for acidity. Um, so since Riesling is naturally about as acidic as a lemon juice, um, (laughs) you know, you, you imagine that that sugar is there to, to make it palatable. Um, so it's, it's very tricky to make a dry Riesling and make it actually good and balanced.
3: This is so crisp and well balanced. That's the one thing that just really hits me It's well. What would you pair with this?
1: Um, it goes really great with, um, uh, things like oysters, any sort of raw seafood. Mm. Um, it goes, uh, great with, um, uh, seafood in general, shellfish, um, Riesling, even dry Riesling, uh, like this actually goes really well with, um, any food that's spicy or very spice heavy. So something that's got chili heat to it or something that has a lot of, like, curry spice to it. Riesling is just one of the few wines that can really, really tackle and pair well with uh, food like that that is, um, you know, not not super easy to pair with something that's not beer.
4: I was just going to suggest Indian food, and you mentioned the curry. Curry, So, yeah, yeah, I could see that with it.
3: I wish we had video because I wish you could have seen Cat's face when you said raw oysters. It wasn't wasn't a pretty face. I love it. Oh. <laughs> well, uh, I,
1: I guess you could um, have fried oysters with it too. How
4: about steamed clams
1: mm-hmm.
3: and
4: sourdough bread?
3: Yeah, definitely. Sourdough, absolutely.
4: Steamed clams and mm-hmm. sourdough.
3: So, Aubrey, tell us yeah. a little bit about <clears throat> Trefethen Winery. Love to hear the backstory. Uh, because uh, I'm sure that uh, it's rich.
1: Um, yeah. So, um, well, so Gene Eugene Treffethen and his wife um, Kate, they uh, purchased this farmland up here in 1968. Um, this was not a, a huge wine moment in Napa. Um, you know, the the first big wine boom happened back in the. 1880s. That's when um, our our winery, which was originally called the Ashkel Winery, was first built. Um, I think uh, around the time of the start of prohibition, there were something like 140-ish wineries in the valley. So it was a really big wine boom. Um, you know, in the 1960s, there were some people who were making wine in Napa Valley. But, um, you know, agriculture had really taken a a sharp shift away from grapes and wine production and um, farming was still what people were doing here is incredibly rural. It was a small farm community. Um, And Eugene and Kate uh, wanted to buy land up here and, uh, you know, live farm life. Um, Eugene um, had actually already purchased some farmland in the Walnut Creek area Uh, about 40 acres um, only to be surrounded by housing developments Mm. eventually. So something really unique was happening in Napa uh, in the late 60s, Um, there was the agricultural preserve, which was about to be voted on. And that is of course, what is still um, keeping Napa from being overdeveloped and farm um, focused. Um, that's, that's why everything here has to pertain to agriculture. Um, so this was a really safe purchase for them. They knew that they were gonna be able to buy farmland up here and not be surrounded by houses again. So um, yeah, it started with, um, uh, uh, I think about hundred acres um, was their first purchase and it just happened to contain um, the remnants of the old Eschol Winery. Um, as well as the house um, where I'm calling you from now, which was built in 1910. Wow. Um, and it included actually quite a bit of wild land that's um, on the other side of Hi- highway 29 here. Um, there was a uh, water there. So the brothers who owned this property back in the 1880s, when they built the winery, um, they actually owned the water rights to that spring. Um, and Eugene was really interested in water um, right from the get go. So, that's how it um, originally started. Um, buying buying this property, and then uh, all of the farms that bordered us were um, interested in selling. Since he was interested in buying, and he ended up um, grabbing about six hundred acres of farmland in that first year.
4: Wow! Wow! Hey.
1: Um, and it was a lot of a lot of hard work. Um, to you know, we started with uh, a lot of infrastructure. Um, You know, Eugene was the CEO of Kaiser, um, so he had a lot of connections, not only with farming, but infrastructure, and they got started pretty quickly on establishing our water, our recycled water system, our reservoirs, um, and, you know, planting and replanting, and just farming what they found here, um, which included grapes, but there was a lot uh, of other agriculture here, Um, in particular Santa Rosa Plum, there was a lot of a lot of plums for the uh, prune industry in this area. Um, there was cattle, there was hay, barley, uh, walnuts. Um, so there was, there was a lot that was being farmed here initially when they first bought the property.
3: Hey, Aubrey, um, tell me about the uh, emblem on the top of the uh, capsule. I'm, I'm gonna take a wild guess. Does that have anything to do with the SL Winery?
1: Um, uh, the uh, the flower yeah, the flower yeah. logo yeah the flower is actually a nod to um, the Trefethen name um, Trefethen is a Cornish last name uh, Eugene's family was from Cornwall, England, and it actually means town of flowers." Mm. Um, it's it's also a little bit of a nod to Kate Chirfathen. um, though she was not Cornish by heritage, um, she was actually Welsh um, by heritage, but she was a really, really avid gardener. And if you've seen uh, the grounds here, you've seen all the flowers, all the plants we have here, and that was um, all her design. We have something like 108 flowers on property.
3: Wow. Oh, Kat, you would go um, crazy.
4: I would go crazy.
1: <laughs> um, but yeah, so uh, so Eugene and Kate bought the property in 1968. Their, um, their son, John Trefethan, um, he uh, came back from the Navy that same year, and he was really interested in um, this project of starting to make wine here again. Um, so that's when the restoration started of the old winery, um, and uh, planting started in 69. We started with Riesling, Chardonnay, and Pinot Noir. Um, our first vintage was 1973, um, mm. and then our first vintage of, uh, Riesling was actually
3: 1974.
1: Mm. So, so we've been working with Riesling since the beginning.
3: Yeah. What, no, I, I, you produce a Cabernet, don't you?
1: We do, yes. Um, we have, um, Cabernet Sauvignon, we have Merlot, we have Cabernet Franc, we have Malt we have Petit Bordeaux. Um, so essentially we have Bordeaux varietals and um, and Burgundy um, varietals, and then Riesling, which is of course German. Are you still um. producing Pinot Noir? We are, actually. Um, we have a we have two wines actually, they're made from Pinot Noir. We have one that is just hundred percent Pinot Noir. And then we have our summer in Napa, um, otherwise known as sin Rose, which is <laughs> um, also hundred percent Pinot Noir.
3: I, I am so overdue for a visit. I can't tell you, Aubrey. So uh, hopefully this summer or fall, uh, I'll be up your way, and I'd, I'd love to set up a visit and and uh, come taste Trefethen.
4: Absolutely.
3: It's been uh, it's been a real joy talking
4: with you, Cat. Was there anything you wanted to ask? Or no, I, she covered it all. I was just going to talk ask about the other varietals, but she's she covered it all. Yeah,
1: we have um really. Uh, kind of a unique property because um, I mean Napa Valley is of course one of the most soil diverse places in the world um, and our property is no different Um, but it's really kind of amazing to see a map of how we have everything planted because it looks kind of like a quilt there's just a lot of different patches of different grapes and um, some of those are grapes that viticulturally speaking have no business growing next to each other like we have pinot noir next to cabernet sauvignon yeah, and that crazy. is i mean that's like a lion living next door to a penguin i mean yeah. it's just it doesn't make any sense um but it's pointing to something that's really really unique in our soil here um dry creek is directly north of our property um it's on our northern uh, border up there um our reservoirs is actually up against it our well our north um, reservoir is up against it Um, But, you know, eons ago, Dry Creek was actually south of the property. So over time, it sort of meandered north. And as it did that, it created um, this incredible diversity of soil here. So we have some sections that are wetter and cooler and more clay heavy. And that's where we put things like um, Chardonnay and Pinot Noir. Um, but where we have all of these rocky, gravelly areas, therefore warmer, drier, better drained, that's where we're putting things like Cabernet Sauvignon. Um, that's where we're putting Cabernet Franc. That's where we're putting um, Riesling actually does really well on rocky soil. So um, that's actually why we're able to have um, this many varieties growing right next to each other.
3: That's wow. so exciting.
4: It must be beautiful, too. It,
3: yes, it is. It
1: is. Yeah, you should come see.
4: I'm working on it. Don't take my word for it. (laughs) I'm working on it.
3: Aubrey, thank you again uh, for your time and uh, this lovely uh, dry Riesling that we're tasting, the 2022 Vision. It's just exceptional.
4: It is. Yeah, it's it's beautiful. It's very nice. I mean, Riesling has a tendency to get a bad rap. Everybody thinking it's so sweet, but this one is very dry with just a little hint of sweetness in there. Just perfect. Mm Mm-hmm.
1: Yep, yep. It's just really light and fruit-forward, and um, it actually ages really well,
3: too. Oh, yeah, I've, I've tasted some aged Rieslings, and they're incredible. Aubrey, I uh, wish you all the best. Thank you so much, and uh love to have you back sometime.
4: Yeah, my pleasure. Hi, Kat. Yeah, you haven't sent any warning on that. Hi, Tom.
3: So, uh, what a nice visit with Aubrey from Trefethen Winery. And so, if you're up in the Napa Valley, uh, I really urge you to give them a visit and uh, Uh, aubrey is the head of hospitality so she'd be more than happy to make sure that you get a proper tour and a greeting and a welcome and get to see what trefethen is all about
4: definitely i would love to go up there
3: well if you can ever break away you've only had about a million invitations
4: i know well you know my multitasking here it's like i'll have to add in a vacation time somewhere in my multitask true so anyway do you know that there's uh, uh today is national weight staff day
3: okay today being the 22nd of may correct no may 21st 21st
4: national weight staff day recognizes the dedicated and often talented weight staff
3: that work very hard to make sure that you have a satisfactory uh, a memorable uh, dining experience yep, right.
4: exactly it says we're encouraged to show appreciation at the same time, restaurant owners and managers also recognize and express their appreciation for their team of wait staff. They help the restaurants thrive.
3: And they work their fannies off.
4: They do. They really do. And so you're encouraged, uh, you know, if you're going out to eat. you know, Show them a little love. Show them some love. Definitely. And then today is also, this is one of my favorites, Strawberries and Cream Day. Mm
3: i'm growing fresh strawberries and i think you are too yes i've been also eating safe.
4: mine they don't even make it into the house No, no way. <laughs> so good they're they are so sweet but fresh strawberries and homemade whipped cream is a must uh when strawberries are in season and i totally agree with that yep. i absolutely love that
3: no argument here
4: they are perfect refreshing light snack on beautifully on a beautiful warm day and you know growing up my mom used to make an angel food cake and she would cut it in half and, and fill it with strawberries and then whipped cream. And then put the other half on top and then cover it all with uh. whipped cream and more strawberries.
3: Oh, does that sound good?
4: That was one of my very, very favorites.
3: All right. Quickly, before we get to Patrick Hunter, let's play the game of food. And your category for me is?
4: Regional dishes. Fire away. If you like Provel cheese on your pizza, you've got to be from A, St. Louis, Missouri, B, Chicago, Illinois, C, Detroit, Michigan, or D, Tampa, Florida?
3: Wow, Provell. I've never heard of Provel.
4: P- really?
3: Yeah, so you might you might have me this time. I'm going to say Detroit, just a guess.
4: <clears throat> St. Louis, Missouri. Really?
3: Never have heard of Provell cheese. Have you? Nope. Okay. Your category is ingredients, and which ingredient is responsible for the tongue-numbing buzz of Chinese dishes like... Mapo tofu and dan-dan noodles. <laughs> <laughs> would that be A, toasted sesame oil, B, tribute peppers, C, ching-kiang vinegar, or D, Sichuan peppercorns? I will go with B. The uh, tribute peppers? Yeah. And you would be Sichuan peppercorns.
4: <coughs> that was my second choice. Oh, I thought wow. about that. All right, so shall we get on yeah. with... Patrick Hunter. Patrick Hunter. I don't know what can we say about him. He's a he's everything. <laughs> yeah, everything to do with real he, estate.
3: He'll tell you everything. He, <laughs> he will
4: tell you tell us everything we need to know. So here we go with Patrick Hunter.
3: I'm Tom. She's Cat, and that's Patrick.
4: Yes, and hey. I'm excited to have Patrick Hunter on our show. I've known Patrick for a gazillion years. It seems like <laughs> long time. Long a time. long time. And Patrick is a. a I have to ask you, a self-made serial entrepreneur, radio host, podcaster, Zoom, and one-to-one coach, you're a real estate broker, certified certified short sale, and foreclosure broker, and I'm sure there's probably a dozen more things that we could add to that.
3: What are you doing in your Uh, spare time? What spare time,
4: yeah. What is a serial entrepreneur?
5: uh it means somebody that i don't play well with others so i've always been self-employed from the time i was 12. and uh, i'm always uh, getting new ideas with my uh, add i can't sit still and i have to start new companies and i generally uh, try and uh, push through with them until i'm actually successful with them so i've done a lot of things and uh, done them well
4: uh, what were you doing at 12?
5: <laughs> what kind at 12 of I had a landscape uh, business basically and then uh, that turned into a car detail company uh, that I, I used to go down Harbor Boulevard and Costa Mesa, all the car lots and wash cars. I think I started that industry but anyway.
4: Wow, and uh, megalithic coaching.
5: yes. I had a a corporate training company for about 10 years and megalithic coaching, uh, basically because it's gigantic, it's everlasting and immovable. So (laughs) like like the pyramids, you know, the pyramids are megalithic, all the giant sculptures and rocks are megalithic, and they all have a unique energy to them. So I thought that would be a great name for my company.
3: That is cool. That is a good name. I like it. Tell us about your podcast.
5: Uh, basically what I'm doing is, is right now it's primarily uh radio and podcast, uh, at the same time. Um, I'm broadcasting out of KACC over in uh, Redlands and, uh, that is on real estate and entrepreneurial, uh, psychology. So that's, that's the one I do. I have guests. I try to have as uh, guests that are interesting, fascinating, and you can learn something from so.
4: Psychology, huh?
5: Well, yeah. I mean, that's really what makes the whole thing work. Uh, a lot of people are uh, have no idea how much uh, how psychological the investment, real estate, and business game is. You know, they spend a lot of time on inventory prices, that kind of thing. But the, when it comes down to it, you know, you can uh, have all the deals in the world, but if they don't close, then and you don't know who
3: you're working with, your shots are, are going to be a lot less as, as, as success. So. So, Patrick, we're both in the same field. I'm a marketing director for a real estate firm. And I'm wondering, uh, why should people have a real estate coach and why should it be you? Well, uh, people should have a real estate coach
5: because they don't have the experience or knowledge. And uh, that goes for all the, you know, I mean, there's so many new agents out there that the highway patrol, when they pull you over, they ask for your real estate license because not everybody has a driver's license. (laughs) Uh, and the fact is is You don't know who you're dealing with You don't know their experience And so when it comes to coaching I was uh, one of the top uh, coaches for Realtor. dot com when they launched for Home Store, I've traveled around the country teaching people. Everything I've done has always been based on uh, the neuropsychology of why people do what they do, and why people make decisions, and why they they're afraid to to go for things, and why they're afraid to be successful. And there's a lot more fear of success than there is of failure, and a lot of people don't understand that, and they don't know what makes themselves tick. So that's why I spent a lot of time on the neuropsychology of how that stuff works. And then I spent a lot of time on accelerated learning uh, and how the brain is programmed. I did a lot of work based on Stanford's uh, Neuropsychiatric Research Center, Dr. Carl prebram They call him like the father of neuropsychology. He was the one that helped develop all the training programs for all the sports teams and IBM and all that stuff back in the day. Uh, based on doing visualizations and actually taking actions in a progressive manner to make people actually take action instead of just uh, thinking they do want to do that so sounds like you could be a good life coach as well uh, basically but you know I can't tell you how to live your mom already taught you how to brush your teeth and, and clean your clothes but I can get you to take action on, on business things uh, you know I mean a lot of people do, they kind of go hand in hand a lot of people don't realize what's holding them back so I do get into that with my coaching clients you know it's it's uh, definitely they do are intermingled especially when I talk about the psychology of why people do and don't do things and uh the thing is, it's really, um, it's a good, better, best situation. Uh, the fact is, is that when it comes to having a coach, it's 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 the best because you can have good, which means you go out there and you you read books and you try and learn things, and even better, you go to a few seminars. But if you don't have somebody answering your questions and you feel have to feel free to ask those questions and the right questions, you know you're not going to get anywhere. It, it really accelerates the ability to to make things happen. So.
4: I understand you're talking about the fear of success. I worked with a lot of musicians that they get to a point and they're afraid to go much further.
5: Well, I mean, you can go all the way back to Rod Stewart being afraid to be in the public. He used to sing some from behind the speakers.
4: Yeah, yeah, I think Eric Clapton did that, too.
5: Yeah. So, yeah, there's a huge fear of success.
4: And uh, they could probably benefit somebody like you, because I know you're in uh, playing play music, too, and you write.
5: I am a musician, and yeah, I do have a, a long background in the, the L.A. scene and on up through the, the punk scene. I was real heavy into uh, managing and in that. And a lot of fun stories for another show. We'll, we'll talk about that.
4: Sounds great. And that would be fun. So what is deal engineer? What is a deal engineer?
5: Well, I, I came up with that about uh, 15 years ago because I kept running into situations that other people couldn't close. They would drop the ball. They wouldn't figure out how to make things work. Uh, I was actually uh, in the manufacturing uh, sales rep business. I was manufacturing for serial copper metals It's a huge company. It was owned by uh, the Pritzker family, which owned Hyatt Hotels and all that stuff. But uh, we used to sell copper tubing by the train load, which is basically millions and millions of dollars in copper tubing. And uh, they used to call me the hitman because I would actually go get clients that fell off and started buying from other people. I would bring them back and negotiate deals. And I had a knack for saving deals and putting things together. Uh, One of the things that I did was I took a Deal where they actually priced it wrong, and uh, overpriced the the copper tubing, and it cost the client probably about an extra hundred and fifty thousand dollars, and they were never going to use this again. So I sat and thought, well, what can I do to keep this deal? So I worked. I created a deal where if they bought their next three orders from us, I would make it up on those orders. So I gave them a discount on the next three orders. So not only did we save the deal. I got three more deals out of it. You know, you have to know all parties. You have to know who you're dealing with. It's not just about price. Too many people think everything is about price. It's not. People think it's about interest rate. It's not. It's about the house. It's about the people. It's about whatever you're dealing with. You have to know all the moving parts. And you have to sit back and look at it and say, what's going to be the best thing for everybody? How can I engineer this deal so it's successful and we have a win-win for everyone on the table? Especially me, I like to get paid.
3: (laughs) Speaking of getting paid, what do you charge for real estate coaching?
5: Real estate coaching, uh, I've got some new programs coming out. Uh, If you're doing one-on-one, it depends on how long you want to go. But just to get started, and if you want to do it in a group or Zoom session, it's $300, and then it's $150 a month thereafter. Okay.
4: That sounds reasonable.
5: Oh, it's real reasonable. You know, these people are getting uh, some people are out there charging 10 grand and they can't even pick up the phone or answer any of your questions for the real investors or or whatever. So I'm very accessible. I don't take on. Too many people. I am available on the phone. You can always call me, and I'll get the answers for you because I've done hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of deals, all types of deals—commercial, land, residential. So, if there's a way to put the thing together, I know how. And I've been training agents. Uh, you know, I got my license in 1985, and like I said, I was a corporate trainer and I traveled around teaching uh, loan programs and and websites to all the boards of realtors in uh, California and and Arizona for many years. So not much about this crazy business. I don't know. So,
4: and you also work with creative financing.
5: Absolutely. Because that's part of being a good deal engineer. Uh, This is a changing market. This will be my fourth changing market. Uh, And we're in a situation where a lot of people bought all these new houses and they don't know how to sell them because they don't have any equity. So if you know how to do creative financing like I do, I can put the deal together with my investors. We can find buyers to slip them in there. We can do lease options, purchase options. There's about, you know, probably 15, 16 creative ways to to sell a home that's unsellable. I have sold some very unsellable properties by using seller financing. So creative financing is just another form of using uh, other means to put the deal together without having to get a conventional loan and going through a bank.
4: In this day and age, it seems like that's the way to go.
5: It's definitely going to help so many people. I'm really looking forward to this market change. i got all the stats today about the foreclosures that are starting to happen because uh, the banks finally are allowed to foreclose there's no more forbearances
2: exactly. you
5: know all, all that kind of stuff so there's going to be a lot of people needing a lot of help and i, I really want to save a lot of people's houses and a lot of people's credit and not a lot of people know how to do that so and i'm back, so i'm going to be teaching uh, agents that class i'm going to be doing a workshop on that coming up in the next few months i will be putting that out there for people for all the agents out there to teach them how to actually make some money in this market instead of crying because they can't get listings and what all that concept. other nonsense.
3: What a concept, Patrick.
5: Yeah. You know, it's, it's funny because the average lifespan of an agent is uh six to eight months. They get in, they sell their brothers or their uncles or their mom's house. Then they realize it's a lot of work and they get out. It's a lot of work. Yeah, it's a I've lot of work a lot coaching. of knowledge. Yep. And the other thing too is that my coaching clients for the agents, they really like working with me and the investors as well because, you know, when you work for a broker, the brokers don't always have the answers. They're not that knowledgeable themselves. You know, they don't know how to save a deal. They don't know how to put a deal together. So I can teach you, you know, if somebody has a problem, they come to me, say, look, you know, I got this deal. It's falling apart. I don't know how to save it. They want the repairs done. How do we do this? It's just simple. Let me take a look at it, and I'll see what I can do to put the deal together for you. Coach you on it so i get the one-on-one coaching directly with agents too and they love it so you own real team mavericks where is that based yeah i'm based out of menifee okay over by canyon
6: lake
3: yeah of course
5: i've been in the area here for 25 years doing deals
4: i think it's probably about how long i've known you
5: (laughs) yeah yeah well Well,
4: you know the, the other thing too
5: that that i have over a lot of other people is i've actually been a title rep uh you know i i know what that's like i had a mortgage company so i know the ins and outs of lending and i've done hard money so there's not too much i don't know about this industry and if i don't know it myself i certainly have the
3: context to get the right answers so kat do you have any other questions no i
4: think i think it seems like all in one
3: Patrick, thank you so much for your time. It's been a joy.
4: So where can people find you? You have a website or email or your phone Absolutely.
5: number? You can get a hold of me and you can go to realtymavericks.com. You can call me, which is probably the best way, or text me, and that's at 951 265 I've had that same phone number for 30 years, 951 Or you can email me with the snail mail at MVKRE, for Realty Mavericks, MVKRE at Yahoo. Patrick, thanks so much. What a what a pleasure. You bet. And then, uh, I'll be talking to you, Tom. Maybe I'll get over to Golden Eagle and do some training for your people. That, that would be fabulous.
3: Thank you.
4: And we'll be talking to you later. You bet and we are back
3: what a fascinating guy
4: isn't he i am just so amazed i mean i didn't even know where to start with him on on everything he's got and there's so much more to know about him
3: he's just lacking in confidence though he's just not <laughs> self-assured at all <laughs> did you get that too cat oh um
4: i maybe a little <laughs> no not at all i think it, it's the one that uh, you should talk to
3: yeah i absolutely i plan on it
4: for, for your business for yeah. your company
3: Golden so, Eagle Properties.
4: So now we go to our main feature. Oh,
3: boy. Uh, th- this is a great story, and I think I touched on it during the interview, but uh, the two of us went to see, uh, and Braden, Braden, went to see um, our Gun friends, Boak. the Gunboat Kings, at the Coach House, and uh, they were opening for the band War. And uh, I'll be... 100% transparent. I was happy to see war, but I wasn't excited about them. It wasn't like, oh, boy, we're going to go... And then they came on stage and uh, just... Blew us yeah, away. A thousand percent. So after the show, as I tend to do, I like to get a guitar pick or a drumstick or whatever, so...
4: You groupie, you.
3: Yeah, whatever. So I found my Well, <clears throat> found my way to the side of the stage, uh, went up to James, struck up a conversation with him, and I said, could, could I get a pick? He said, um... He said, I just rejoined the band. It was, his, what, first or second show, I think? Yeah, And first, I he think. said, let me go run back on stage. And he came back, and he gave me a pick. It said, James Baker, War, 2002. So it was from when he was in the band many, many years ago. Um, I told him about our show. He gave me his email address, and we went back and forth. And finally, we found a date and time that worked. And he's just really one of the nicest people I've had the chance to, to visit with in a long time.
4: He is um, just absolutely fascinating. I still have photos from that show that I haven't put up online yet or anything. And I'm gu- lacking here. You know? What a
3: guitar player.
4: <laughs> Isn't he? Oh, my gosh. That's so what I was telling him. his, For me, one of the biggest things about going to see live music or see emotions is photographing the emotions and the feelings.
3: His face is so expressive. And,
4: you know, it's just... I just absolutely love it. So why don't we get on with that and then right after his interview we're going into his title track Brand New Eyes. Brand New Eyes. And then we're going to end our show with
3: We All Shine.
4: We All Shine. Yeah.
3: James Soda Baker, let's and go. Oh, well, we got
4: a little little surprise too though just before his interview. Yes, we do. And I know James will be surprised about this. <laughs>
6: Extremely honored uh, to have James Zoda Baker on our show. James, you were—we saw you at the Coach House uh, with War uh, headlining for. um, Well, we actually got there to see the Gunboat Kings, which opened for you guys.
0: Oh. and, And having
6: you was just such an added bonus to our evening. It was great. We were sitting right below where you were playing. And just absolutely fell in love with you and your music, uh, your performance. It was just incredible. I don't know if you saw, I got a little video snip that I posted on Facebook yesterday.
0: No, no, I haven't seen that one yet.
6: I tagged you on it kind of late, but... um, Um,
0: Oh, okay, okay. i have to go check that out.
6: I wanted our viewers to, to get an idea of who we're talking to and what kind of music you're playing. Um... And actually, you know, I, I'm looking at looking at your website, and you've played with so many people. Wow. Uh, what kind of, you know, you, you play different genres of music. Sure.
0: What
6: What is your favorite to be playing?
0: Uh, good music. <laughs> <laughs> good for you. <laughs> honest music, real music. I, I love, yeah, honest music, real music, good music. You know, I love... Um, pretty much all styles really um, you know growing up my brother was 8 years older than me and, and it still is and um, <laughs> had just a, a, a very eclectic uh, taste in music and so and and same with my mother and my sister so I just you know listen to so many different styles and, and then you know my grandfather as well um, you know he he had uh, you know the Herb you the Tijuana Brass and um, uh, you know I Lombardo and all that, and then Hawaiian music, he loved Hawaiian music, Um, you know, so, and he had a lap steel uh, for a while, pedal steel at his house, and and so, you know, just all the different influences, and, um, you know, just seemed to resonate with me, I love, I love playing, uh, you know, again, good music, but uh, all different styles.
3: So, James, you mentioned uh, Herb Alpert and the Tijuana Brass, that leads me to, uh, you're lucky to be here today, you were quite sick when you were two years old, weren't you?
0: Yes, I was um, you know, I was born with a heart defect, a hole between the left and right ventricle. And um, I ended up in the hospital for seven months at Children's Hospital um, in Los Angeles. And um, so I had the hole between the left and right ventricle, and then I had an aneurysm on my aorta. And, uh, and then unfortunately, with um, one of the surgeries, the heart-lung machine wasn't sterilized. Mm. And um, so I got what's called endocarditis. And uh, so, nowadays, I've heard of where these kids, they can have that, uh, that defect and, and can be out of the hospital in a week or something like that, but back then, it was all brand new. Um, you know, they just had staples and shipping cable to sew you up and, and to watch over you. You know, again, it took seven months for me to heal up and, and to, to get out of the hospital. I,
6: I thought was Yes. I thought it was interesting but, that you were born in Inglewood and grew up in Santa Monica. And I, I was born in Santa Monica and grew up in Westchester, which is right next to Inglewood.
0: Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, there you go. We switched places. But, uh, yeah, I, I'm not sure. I was trying to think of that earlier. I was uh, thinking of, um, you know, I think my family was maybe living in Baldwin Park or Baldwin Hills or something. I'm right. trying to figure out the uh, Daniel Freeman Hospital, um, you know, connection there. My brother yeah. was born there at Daniel Freeman Hospital. Um, and uh, and then my family had moved back from Hawaii, and I think lived maybe where my grandparents did in Baldwin Park for a little bit for a year or something, and then moved to Santa Monica. Everybody moved to Santa Monica.
6: That's interesting. And also, when you're talking about Herb Albert and the Tijuana Brass, I also grew up with Herb Albert and uh, Hawaiian music of Alfred Apaka.
0: Oh yeah,
6: if you remember. him?
0: Uh, I don't remember. I don't remember that name, but I, you know, again, you know, my grandfather had so many of those records back then. I don't remember all the names, but uh, you know, love that music. Yeah, and with Herb Albert and, T- and the Tijuana Brass, um, they, uh, you know, they would bring a little record player to the to the uh, hospital, and um, and would play. Uh, records for me and one of them being her Albert and, and I would dance up and that's when I did the chicken <laughs> you know with at, all the IVs in me and everything like that you know at, at two years contents.
3: old at two years old
0: at two years old that's at amazing. two years old yeah yeah so I guess that's where some of it began and then on the emotional side you know sometimes my grandfather would would you know tear up or cry if he heard a piece of music that really touched him and and everything like that so You know, I connected with that as well, you know, connecting with the emotional aspect of music, not just listening to it, Um, you know, viscerally, or, you know, I mean, just, you know, just like, yeah, this sounds great. I mean, really, really connecting with it.
6: You know, I'm a a professional photographer as well, and I primarily shoot the the stage live performance photography, and one Mm -hmm. of the biggest turn-ons for me to shoot is to see the emotions that these performers um, display when they're playing. And I could see it so much in you. I do have a lot of photos, or not a lot, but quite a few photos of you from the coach house that night that I've got to get. Uh, I, I just realized yesterday that I hadn't even gone through them and posted them. I was just looking at them with Tom a little earlier. But um, I'll get them up there and you can. I'll tag you on them and you're welcome to use any of them if you want.
0: Oh, that's really nice. Thank you. Yeah, no, I'd love to check them out.
6: Yeah, you do show so much, and that video, that little snip I've got, just really shows your heart and soul into your music, and I just love that. I really admire you. You're not up there just performing, you're feeling everything that you're doing, and it really shows...
0: Well, I, I appreciate that very much. Thanks for for tuning into that. I, you know, I try. You know, I'm <laughs> I'm uh, <laughs> I'm doing my best. You know, to to uh, you know play all the correct parts, but also <laughs> tap into the emotion of uh, you know myself, but also the the sentiment of the song that I'm playing as well. You know, at that particular time. You know, really trying to to, to feel the lyric. You know, whether I wrote the song or somebody else wrote the song. You know, trying to to tap into
6: that well you can really tell your love for what you're doing and it it really really shows to your audience and in and in your music and your recorded music too
0: so thank you i appreciate that
3: your older brother was obviously a a a big influence but you started uh, you were in the high school jazz band then you went on to study at santa monica college uh, tell me a little bit. About, you worked with Robin Ford for a while. I've, I've gotten to meet Robin. I'm a big fan of his work. Uh, talk to me a little bit about working with Robin.
0: Sure. Um, I, I ended up going to um, MI, and back then it was you know they had separate schools. One of them was GIT, Guitar Institute of Technology, mm-hmm. and um, I was very fortunate to um, to study with uh, Robin Ford and Scott Henderson and Frank Gambale and. Uh, A jazz legend Joe Diorio Um, I also had a few private lessons with uh, Joe Pass and uh, and Robin Ford Um, just again you know you have um, a connection with certain people or their style or something about it uh, interests you you know or touches you and uh, and I just love the way that he was a blues player, but he was, um, more than that. You know, he, he expanded his knowledge beyond that, but obviously went on to play with Miles Davis. Um, and, um, you know, so when we would work together, um, you know, I just, I felt very comfortable and, and the way he would show me certain things, uh, certain progressions or a way to play over certain changes. And, uh, and then one time he asked me, uh, cause we would play for, uh, you know, we would play for the students sometimes. You know, he would he would call on me and say, hey, let's go up, let's play for the students. And uh, he asked me to um, to write a specific piece, um, you know, for that. And so I wrote a tune, 66 Ford, uh, which I didn't send to you guys. But uh, I had a 66 Ford Mustang at the time, and he was Robin Ford. And when he asked me to, to write this song, I... I went out and um, I put my foot on the bumper of my car and started writing this tune. <laughs> and uh, I thought, well, 66 Ford is the perfect name for it. And uh, and then I went home and uh, my first private teacher, Jeff Richmond, who's a great uh, a jazz fusion guitar player, um, he wrote it out for me. You know, he helped me write it out so I could see... You know, how things were laid out when you wrote out uh, sheet music and everything like that. And, and so it would be um, in top form when I played with Robin. And we played it and it was great. And, um, you know, and you know, I haven't seen him many times since then. I mean, I've seen him live. I haven't had a chance to, to hang out with him or anything like that. But huge inspiration, you know, um, for me. You know, I just love him. You know, how I love to talk to your daughter and, and yeah. the stuff he did with Yellow Jackets. And uh, yeah, just just a phenomenal player.
3: I met him when he was touring with Phil Lesh. Talk about uh, a diverse player.
0: Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, well, he played, you know, with, with Phil and with uh, George Harrison and Miles Davis and the Yellow Jackets and I think Jimmy Witherspoon. You know, yeah, he's quite the versatile player for sure.
3: I'm very curious. I know that you joined uh, the South African or South American band Arco Iris. Tell me how that came about.
0: Well, um, that actually came about through again my first private teacher jeff Richmond. um i met jeff when i was going to santa monica high school um i don't know if you've heard of the Toshiko akiyoshi big band but they played at our high school and jeff was a guitar player and he was uh he knocked me out because he was closing his eyes and he was playing rock licks but with jazz scales and things i thought wow this is incredible so um I actually talked to him. Actually, it turned out that day because the, uh, the um, piano player, or the keyboard player, his amp didn't work, and I had one because I was playing in the jazz band there. And so I loaned him my, my amplifier, and I got to talk to the band, and I talked to Jeff. And uh, my grandmother said she would pay for lessons. And um, so I started studying with Jeff Richmond for a long time. And um, he's, he recommended me. He was playing with Arco Iris. And um, they had come up from, from Argentina and uh, were starting a new style here. It was actually before world music kind of hit the scene. They were a little bit um, ahead of their time, you know, as far as all that goes with uh, synthesizers and panpipes and moxenos and all that that world music thing that, that hit a little bit later. Um, but anyway, he recommended me for the gig because he wasn't able to do it. And, um, you know, as a sub... And so I, I subbed a couple of times, and then he moved on to his solo career as a jazz fusion guitar player, and they wanted to hire me full time. So uh, we ended up doing a couple records together. I toured South America twice with them, and um, we also did a, um, a thing with the Music Center downtown. It was called uh, Exploring South America, and we would go to elementary schools and all the way to colleges and, and perform for them and I would play acoustic guitar and charango, which is, uh, you know, an Indian instrument, string stringed instrument.
6: Now we saw you with War, and this was your, you just recently rejoined them.
0: When did you yeah, play
6: I, with them before?
0: Yeah, I, I joined them originally in 1998, um, and, um, and the way that story was, was, um, there's a a studio called cornerstone recorders i'm not sure if it's still there in chatsworth california and a friend of mine scott borton owned it and um the year previous to that 1997 war was actually in there and i I started doing a lot of uh, studio work at at, um cornerstone recorders and war was in there and at the time i had a demo tape i don't know if you remember demo tapes but uh, <laughs> but I had one with me and I handed it to their engineer at the time this guy Chris Huston who um, also worked with Led Zeppelin a bunch of people anyway I handed it to them and um, didn't hear anything and then a year later I got the call from my friend Scott Borden and he said um, look War's looking for a guitar player and um, they haven't uh, found the right guy yet you want to come audition and I said yeah that'd be fantastic you know so um, I I did a couple of gigs. I played in Big Bear, and then I played with this guy, uh, Alvaro Torres. I think his name was, in Las Vegas. And then after that, I, I drove down to uh, Chatsworth, and um, an audition, and got the gig. You know, and so I was there till 2002, and then you know my solo career kind of, and my songwriting took me in a different direction, what, for a while.
3: One thing that Cat and I both noticed was that was the amazing energy that not, not only you but the entire group in war the band uh, puts out when they're on stage. Just incredible.
0: Yeah, I mean, everybody's, a, you know, an A player, you know, top flight player, and all great guys. You know, the, the saxophone player and the bass player, um, you know, played with uh, uh, Pancho Sanchez for a while. I think they still do occasionally, but, um, and, and Sal Rodriguez on drums, and uh, Mitch Cashmar on um, uh Harmonica And uh, Marcos Reyes on, on percussion, you know, also played, you know, did some uh, records recently, I think, with Los Lobos and, and you know, all these guys, that, uh, just top flight players, like I said, great guys, just a, a great band to work with.
6: Um, you've got, well, you rejoined War this year, I mean, you were sitting in with them last year and then you actually rejoined them this year. Mm-hmm. And you've got a lot of gigs coming up with them, but I see that you're also doing some other uh, gigs like with the the Star Travelers, which you're performing tomorrow night up in Oxnard.
0: Yeah, well, actually, Friday night, yeah. Um, yeah, uh, Amanda and I, my... my uh, my girlfriend my wife um for 18 years um amanda haley is a great singer songwriter and um and we have our band the star travelers and sometimes we do it as a duo and sometimes we do it as a band um and we're doing it as a duo on friday night um yeah yeah it's great and then we're also writing new material actually we have a new song in the works that'll be coming out pretty soon but um yeah that band and then i play occasionally with the the Harlan Specter trio uh, Party Jones is a, is a band that I play with um, And uh, the JZB band, which is my personal band Which I, I haven't played with them for a while But i um, been a little busy <laughs> you, you were kind
3: enough to share some of the, a couple of songs from your uh, latest album And uh, they just uh, really are magnificent uh, Your guitar work is, is stellar But wow, you've got some great guests on there Bernard Fowler, wow
0: Yeah, yeah, Bernard Fowler, um, you know, I met him through Lee Bench and the Steakhouse Studios. Um, He records there a lot, and um, we uh, hooked up, and and, uh, he was kind enough to sing on my first record. Um, It's called Better Than Never, and and then when I did my second one, I invited him back, and he just does an amazing job. I mean, his, his background vocals, uh, along with uh, Amanda's, actually, they sing together a lot, which sounds fantastic. And uh, one thing I wanted to mention, too, when I, when you were talking about War, really quick, I just, I, uh, you, you know, with all the band members and the energy and the synergy and all that, you know, the, the main focus of all that is Lonnie Jordan, you know, the, the OG, yeah. the original uh, lead singer and songwriter and keyboard player. And, um, you know, he's really the catalyst for all that energy you know he's just um, he is a ball of energy uh, really fun entertainer and um, you know it's an honor working with him so I just wanted to put that in there
3: yeah oh, he's incredible
6: yeah Yeah. he is amazing I, I just couldn't believe the energy he put out and the crowd just responded so well
0: yeah. And, um, but, but, um, getting back to the, uh, to, to my record and to Bernard Fowler, and then there's uh, Jimmy Haslip, you know, that used to, you know, play with Yellow Jackets, you know, is playing bass on a lot of tunes. Um, and Larry Antonino from from Pablo Cruz. Mm-hmm. And a uh, lot of these guys, you know, everybody's done something wonderful, you know, on that album. And, uh, you know, they just uh, really brought my songs to life. I really, really appreciate that. So you know, everybody's hard work. Where
3: can our listeners uh, get your music?
0: You know, they get, they can get it on Spotify, um, at Apple Music. Um, I'm not even sure what all these streaming platforms are called anymore.
3: <laughs> I know. There's a bunch <laughs> so, of them.
0: There's, you know, there's so many, but, uh, you know, Deezer and iHeartRadio and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Uh, You know, they can do that. And if there's any old school listeners out there that that want a CD, they can certainly, uh, you know, feel free to email me, uh, you know, or or, um, hook up with me, you know, private message me on Facebook or something like that.
3: Yeah, You're not not hard to get a hold of.
0: (laughs)
6: Well, you've got a lot of gigs coming up with war. I mean, you've got like three days of traveling and you're going into different states each day.
0: Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's um, And there's more dates coming, which is really nice. Uh, we're going to play uh, on the 26th. We're playing in Napa, and uh, we're doing the uh, Bottle Rock oh, Festival. Yeah. And, uh, you know, there's, um, I think on our day, the Smashing Pumpkins are there and uh, Post Malone, you know. Um, wow. And um, and then also Mike Campbell and the Dirty Knobs yes. will be there that day, from uh, which Tom is Petty's, really cool.
3: From Tom Petty's band.
0: Yeah, Tom Petty. And we played with Tom Petty back in the day. Um, we played uh, the Fillmore in 1999, and we played two nights opening for Tom Petty at the Fillmore. Wow. And uh, the second night, uh, Tom was on the side of the stage and, and introduced the band. And, and we introduced him both nights, but the second night, he stood there the whole time to watched the, the concert, uh, which was a big thrill. Um, you know, I'm a huge Tom Petty fan, and, and then meeting all the guys, Mike Campbell and... You know Ben Montage and the whole gang you know, just a, a big thrill uh, I'm, I'm always a fan
6: Tell me about Edgar Winner
0: Edgar Winner um, well that was a, uh, a you know, just another I guess just a lucky moment you know, a beautiful moment that um, I was working with this songwriter, Kirk Cuomo who had written with Edgar Winner before and Kiss and a bunch of other people Eddie Money and um, one day he asked me he said, you know, would you like to write some songs with Edgar Winter. And, you know, of course, I, <laughs> says, yeah. I said, well, let me look at my schedule and see what <laughs> I'm doing. Uh, <laughs> so anyway, we um, we uh, came up with a few ideas um, to pitch Edgar. And then we went to his house, and um, we, we pitched him a few ideas. And um, I, I think I have the little story on my website, but I, I – he spun around and um, and said he loved it with a big smile, and that was a big relief. And so we ended up, I ended up writing nine songs with uh, with Edgar and Kurt for his album Rebel Road, and um, I played guitar on all those those songs. And uh, we had guests like Slash and his brother Johnny Winter, and Clint Black, and um, Edgar's great guitar player himself, Doug Rappaport, just a wonderful guitar player. And um, and then we did a song for Ringo uh, Starr because because Edgar was playing in the in the Ringo Starr All Star all-star Band, and he's again, and uh, called Peace and Love. And we had Matt Bissonette, who's now playing with Elton John, play bass on it. And um, who else do we have on the record? We had Abraham Laboriel Jr., uh, Paul drummer, playing on three or four tunes. And um, you know, just a great cast of uh, of musicians on that record. It was a real thrill. And then. Um, the biggest thrill, one of the biggest thrills was having, uh, the breakfast with the Beatles play our song, "Peace and love, <laughs> yeah. growing up a huge Beatles fan. I mean, it was sort yeah. of, uh, um, um, you know, um, I don't know, an epic moment for me, you yeah. know, having, yeah. having, a, a show like that, uh, want to play the song and they had you on as a guest and, and, uh. You know, he talked about us writing the song, and yeah. Anyway, so yeah, so that was a that was a great uh, experience working with Edgar winter You know, just writing all those songs and getting to know him. You know, all the, the things that go on besides just the the writing and the recording. You know, the hanging out, having dinner, and hearing stories, and you know, sometimes driving him home from the studio and and having a you know, intimate chats and all that, and and, um, just just a magical experience. And so I'm still in touch with Edgar and and, uh, Edgar's um, uh, now producer, Ross Hogarth, who ended up, um, they just won the Grammy for the new album, Brother Johnny. Um, Mm -hmm. And and, uh, Ross was, uh, you know, mixed most of Rebel Road.
3: Just absolutely memories that will stay with you for the rest of your life.
0: Yeah. And, and yeah. Absolutely.
3: You mentioned Matt Bissonnette. Do you know whether he's any relation Great. to Greg Bissonnette?
0: Yes, they're brothers. Oh ah. brothers. We've had <laughs> Greg yeah, yeah.
3: yeah, we've had Greg as a guest on our show.
0: Oh fantastic. Yeah, Greg's Greg's amazing. Um, you know, and they're both amazing players. Um and um but yes, they're brothers. We oh. saw
3: we saw Greg at Nam about four or five years ago and we said, are you uh, going back out on the road with Ringo? And, and you know, Greg, he says, oh, Ringo, he's coming here in a couple of minutes for a signing <laughs> with, a, with a big
0: wink.
6: <laughs> I met Edgar uh, Witter a couple of times, and he is such a nice guy. I, I was almost feeling a little intimidated. I, I used to book uh, bands and artists, and I had booked one to open for him at the Old Galaxy in Santa Ana several years ago. And I got there during sound check when he was on stage, and I was like, I was just in awe because he was such a, such a monster player on stage, and such a, a nice, nice sweetheart of a guy off stage. It's just incredible.
0: It is. It really is. Yeah, he's just he's such a gentle soul, and like you said, you know, on stage, completely different person. You know, just a a monster, just a just a master musician. With an yeah, incredible and ear.
6: He you know, and even his my, wife were so sweet. They were they were just really, really nice people.
0: Yeah, Monique, yeah. She's yeah, she's a lovely human being. Yeah, beautiful. I yeah. got to
3: see Johnny in concert a couple of times. <laughs> what a guitar whiz.
0: Yeah, I, you know, I never saw Johnny live until he worked on the record. You mm. know, I mean I love Johnny Winters playing my whole life. I oh. never never had a chance to see him live, but then when he played on uh one of the songs that I co-wrote, "Rockin' the Blues," uh, he came into the studio, and um, you know I showed him the basic rhythm of the song. He was going to play mostly the solo anyway, but um, the basic rhythm of the song. And um, and then his amp blew up, uh-huh. and so he actually ended up using my amplifier on the on the record. Uh-huh. <laughs> and uh, and I got to see him live, you know, doing his thing, you know, taking you know doing those takes and and those great solos that are on the record. Oh, this has been just a fantastic interview. We could uh, go on.
3: We could go on for hours, James. Thank you so much for. Your I, time. I
6: would really like to schedule another interview with you and um, Amanda.
0: Sure, absolutely.
6: I think it would be fun to talk about. We have we've interviewed other artists, uh, married group, whatever you want to call it, and it is so fun uh, listening to them talk about them playing together. And they're there are little quirks here and there about doing so. Uh, <laughs> it's really cute, and so I really like maybe when you're back. Well, I was say back from tour. Looks like you're going to be booked for quite a while, but maybe sometime in there we could schedule another interview. Maybe we'll see yeah, at the Orange County
3: wonderful. Fair. Yeah. me? maybe we'll see at the Orange County Fair.
0: Oh, that would be great. Yeah, if you guys please, you know, please, uh, you know, let me know before if you're coming and and. Uh, you know, I'd, I'd love to love to meet with you guys, and, okay. and uh, you know, anytime. Yeah, that would be fantastic.
3: James, thank you for everything. We're going to share a couple of your songs, uh, your newer music, with our
0: listeners, and we'll look forward to a return visit. Okay, that sounds great. Yeah, well, thank you, thank you, Tom and Cat, and, and uh, a pleasure talking with you both.
6: Thank you so very much, and good luck on your tour. And don't know Amanda yet, but give her my, our best.
0: I will. I'll do that.
2: Smiles. They stab your back in victim style You've been their friend, but all the while They're collecting hearts in one big pile They build you up and tear you down And barely laugh when you hit the ground The jokes on them are not so wise
3: music. I love James's energy. Um and I'm looking forward to. I'm definitely going to take him up on his offer of uh, reaching out to him before the Orange County Fair and go see War at the OC Fair.
4: I don't I was going to check the date before we went on air today and I Oh well. I've been busy.
3: I think it's early August.
4: Oh, that's probably doable. Yeah. I don't see why not. I'd love to see him and war again.
3: Yeah, and so I think uh, there's a very good chance we're going to get James and Amanda Mm -hmm. uh, for a return visit, his his partner in love.
4: Yes, isn't that sweet? They've been together so long, and I love it.
3: Well, this was a good one, Kat.
4: Always is.
3: And our thanks, as always, to our official produce sponsor, Melissa's Produce, Melissa's.com. You are going to be making your... I know you've got it right there.
4: My phyllo puff stuffed with mushroom tapenade.
3: Mmm. I've seen the ingredients, and
4: I can't wait. I know. Uh, the mushroom medley, the chanterelle mushrooms.
3: Wild lobster mushrooms.
4: Wild morel mushrooms and the wild lobster mushrooms. And
3: they're all dried, and it's amazing how you uh, just soak them a little bit, and they just, uh, they're, they're they fabulous. Pop right up. And you can use the juice to... Uh, season things and make them taste like mushrooms yep very versatile so have fun i can't wait to taste it
4: i know i I told you i love my shrooms yep so we are going to end our show with with we all shine we already had a little snip of that in the beginning and i did want to mention that little snip before james's interview was the
3: song 66 Ford" that 66 he uh, talked Ford, about yeah. in the which uh, I don't think you can find. <laughs> he gave me a recording of it and said, so "Well, we that's why we only played a, a little sniff. We didn't want a little wanted, taste of it." Yeah.
4: And um, anyway, I want to thank everybody, and especially to uh, all of our guests this time. And thank you, Tom.
3: Thank you, Cat. We had a busy weekend, and we're oh. here. <laughs> we made it.
4: We're we made it. I I went early for the balloons this morning, so yeah. I'm a little sleepy, but.
3: We've both had a very busy weekend.
4: We certainly do. Yeah. We always do. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you, everybody. And here it is again, James Zoda Baker. We all
3: shine. We all shine. Yep.
2: Things right You put the tape on rewind You can't fight the darkness That lives inside a broken heart Forgive yourself and move on Sending love to those who are falling apart We all shine Brighter than the sun Let the clouds disappear, show us a sign that we are Looking out at the sea, remembering everything that's deep inside of me. So many memories, some sweet, some sad, as I walk across the sand, saying goodbye, oh Show us a sign. We blind. all shine. Sure. Flying in my dreams, I'm weightless and I'm free. Soaring with the angels, the ones that watch over you and me. They tell me to forgive all the lost souls. In their wings hoping one day they will see the light and together again Show us a sign
0: This is Robert Rankin-Walker. You're listening to Cords and Vines on 10 Temecula Entertainment Network.